0: Welcome to This Board Game Life, episode number 8, TableCon 2012, part 2. Coming to you from the new board game capital of the world, this is the show about the board game hobby as seen through the eyes of two gamer guys. I'm Rob, and with me today, in the opposite corner of the ring, once again is Tyrannosaurus Rex.
1: John. Yeah. <laughs> and so continuing on with the games we played at our fun little weekend getaway. Here we go.
0: Manhattan Project. We talked about this briefly, I think, an episode or two ago. Yeah. And uh, I got to tell you, Jeff, I'm really glad you brought that one in. That was another fantastic game.
1: Yeah, so we talked about that in our episode, Game Lust, about all all these games we had just gotten. And... Uh, that was a, I just played only a solo play to learn it, and and uh, before and you finished it all the way through. Yeah, which I never <laughs> never do. Once I get the mechanics down, and I feel like I could teach it. I quit, uh, but I actually played it with my wife a couple of times, and then we went and played it that that weekend. Actually, and, how did it go over with her? Well, so that was the thing. I so I actually uh, loved it playing it just by myself, and then I played it two player. and I was like, you know, score because it was it was great. It played wonderfully two player. Uh, but and even in our like second game, I, I noticed there's this the interactive parts of the game, which the game would really be fine without those, uh, because it would just be on it would still be a better worker placement game than half of the other worker placement games out there, right? It would just have a little more of a multiplayer solitaire feel. But they right. do have these two additional things that really add interaction. It's one of the reasons the game shines. Uh, that doesn't get used as much in a two-player game even even in a later game when we kind of understand understood what why you would do that and how to use it we still found ourselves just doing that less and that was what was just really fun about playing you know we played four players yeah we played a four-player game, and seeing the bombers and the fighters sort of come out and the espionage come out a little bit, even with first-time players all around besides myself, uh, that people actually understood why they would do those actions and and, and started to do them. And, and again, I think on further plays, that would be a very common thing to do these uh, actions now as you understand those benefits. And that, that really adds um, player interaction and interest. Oh, yeah. But.
0: And one thing that I really enjoyed about the game was that it it had this certain mechanic to it. You know, It, it doesn't happen so much in the beginning of the game, but once you get a bunch of cards on your playmat and uh, you start collecting the resources, the yellow cake and uh, all of your little guys that you've got, it, it has this mechanic to it that is very similar to... One of the things that I like in Ascension, where you're sitting there, it's like you take your action, and then you're sitting there, and you're just doing all this stuff.
1: Well, yeah. Do you it's, know what I'm talking it, yeah, about? I guess it's really like your engine building mechanism. So... Right, I you mean, know, and you, you, you place your two guys down, and they, they mine the yellow cake, and then your yellow cake you you turn into uh, uranium, and then your uranium you actually use in combination with other things and money, you know money to to turn into even more plutonium, and then the plutonium you ultimately make into a bomb, right? And and mm-hmm. uh, in in other games that would feel like just monotonous cube pushing, uh, and I've I've talked about plenty of euro games like that that just were dull as, as dirt and, and there there wasn't anything else of value so that it really just came down to that but here in Manhattan project it it has uh, you know that but, it, but at the same time there isn't like all of these different resources where you just feel like you know there's blue and green and yellow and red and uh, i mean really there is just yellow cake and then there's plutonium and uranium and there's money and you're three different type of workers and what where the interest is is in building that little you know engine on your player map but then there's these limitations that are put on the game and really there's three of them that all of which kind of feel unique is one is there's three different type of workers and right. I've only really seen most of the games a lot of them they'll have one master guy right and then there's a bunch of apprentices or that type of thing so there's this one guy that has like a better benefit uh, but here right. there's really there's three different ones and you could even argue there's more because you can hire the contractors, to which are versions of the same three, but you know work slightly differently. Um, so there's that part, and then there's the part where you can pl- take just a single action on the center board, uh, if you want to, and then as many actions on that private engine board as you want. And so even things that you could do on the on the master board, where you well generally you're also restricted because maybe somebody else has taken it but you you kind of want to find a way to do that better on your own just because you have unlimited plays on your own. Okay. And, and that kind of mechanic is very interesting. And then the last one was that there's no turns to the game, really. Uh, no rounds, I, I mean, right? So you choose sort of when the round's over, and but it's only over for you. Exactly. You you place workers, and you if you have one guy you haven't placed, uh, that's the only guy you have to place on the next go-around. And, and once you've placed your last guy, then you have to take. You have to basically pass for a turn to take them all back. But you could also choose to do that really every other turn. And, and maybe if you had a really efficient engine going, you could do that. And I think I was doing that, right? As were several of us. Of course. Uh, because I would take my one action on the center board. I would basically use all my other workers on my player mat, and and then so then the next time around, I would I would pretty much have to give them up. But that's then where. The, and and, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't push it too hard, and I can't say that I'm an expert at it, but what I don't think any of us did real well at that point was, well, actually there's a reason for it, but if you use the card that gives you a lot of the contractors, then what, you're, what you do is you, you, you're supplementing your staff. So you use the contractors to fill up the board, and you really have three plays left for the next turn. And so you're getting two turns out of three instead of everybody else getting one out of two, so you're naturally going to do better over time, okay. if you keep taking those guys. But the reason was, we had a very odd game, you know, and I've, I've played four, four, four or five times maybe at most, but in, in those few, relatively few plays, we didn't have very many universities come out at all, which is the mechanic by which you get more workers. And that kind of stifled the speed of the game a little bit. Okay. And and because of that, I think it, w- it was harder for us. Not as many people got to where you were using contractors, uh, and that might have been part of it. So the, the game played a little differently because of that, but that was just as the cards fell, right? Right. But all of those, I mean, even those things are different about the game, but then also there's this espionage track where I can use your building, but only if I choose as my single action on that center board to take the espionage action. And I push up a track, and you know, once it gets to two, I can take two actions from other boards, right? And mm-hmm. at the same time that I might be able to, to get something, it, it actually takes away some of the randomness in the game. Because you know, I go, oh, that wasn't really fair because that card came out and you just got to buy it before me. Well, there's a way that I can still use it. And not only can I use it, but I can deny you using it. Yeah. And if I find a way to not take my guy back anytime soon, it's denied the whole entire time he's sitting out there. Right, Uh, so that's pretty neat, and at the same time, I can also deny you actions by sending my fighters and bombers to bomb the building. And and the Ameritrash version of this would be: I roll a dice to see what building of yours I I hit. No, no, this is this is true Eurogame flavor because I pick it. I go, yeah, that uranium, that refinement, you know, that's you're churning out stuff way too fast, so. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to slow that down. And so you get to pick. Now, that said, if I've got five fighters and you've got five fighters, uh, you know, that's enough to eliminate each other, right? There's no dice rolling involved. But if if you've got 10 on defense uh, and I've got five, I don't have enough to get through your defense grid, right? Right. Um, And then with the bombers, whatever bombers I have, you know, to attack kind of once all your fighters are gone, I, I can then do damage to buildings. So there's uh, this kind of neat balance between the way fighters and bombers work. And uh, then you know, if if there is damage, you can't even use that building. You have to take a repair action, of which there's only one. So there again, you could try to there could be some denial tactics there and some play back and forth. And it also costs money to take that action. So
0: yeah, one thing that happened it was kind of funny with the spy is that I had the blue uh, the blue uh, characters and then the guy next to me had purple <laughs> so at some point he put a spy onto my playboard and I didn't see it yeah and the lighting was really dim and I couldn't tell the color differences between them so I had a spy on my board and I never knew it so it, t- it actually was a spy <laughs> and then he goes where's my piece I'm like what <laughs>
1: what piece yeah, and here you're like, I don't remember playing on that action, but darn, I really need to use that one. I, I really like it. I like the way the theme comes across it. I mean, this this was what I hoped uh, Lords of Waterdeep to be. And, and as much as I liked Lords of Waterdeep, I mean, the theme is not as I, I I cannot think of a Euro game that has a stronger theme than Manhattan Project. I really can't.
0: And it's got that cool art. That like uh, fifty is fifty ish. I, I, it reminds I, me a little bit of Launchpad.
1: Yeah, know, I, I don't, game. I don't, I don't love it, but I don't hate it either. I mean, it's it's workable. I like the game board a lot, but but yeah, it's I, you know, it's surprising. I guess there aren't there there isn't really anything else from Minion Games that has caught my attention uh, or had any kind of staying power. Uh, so this is really maybe out of nowhere. The only thing I've seen out there as criticism for the game is that there is uh, maybe too much take that for some people. I just don't feel like that's come across in any of the games that I've played, though. It seems like there's mitigating factors on that. I mean, if you don't want your buildings to be blown up, then, you know, invest in some fighters to defend them. You know, it, it's a suboptimal play otherwise because you'd much rather get more yellow cake or, or make more uranium, right, or, or build a bomb. But, you know, again, if you're trying to mitigate that factor, well, then you can defend against it. For espionage, eh, you know, build if you build the en- engine such, then it'll it'll at least happen less often or maybe you need to just employ that mechanism to to do that to other players as well you know there's a lot of these games where you can use other people's buildings i mean lords of waterdeep had that too yep so Uh, This is kind of just a more thematic way that you use it, which is, again, really cool. And then, you know, I didn't mention it, but the way we've talked more about the worker placement and the actions, but the whole bomb building thing is kind of pretty thematic there, too. Even just the difference between plutonium and uranium bombs, where the plutonium one, you want to do this implosion test, and there's this dilemma, do I sacrifice the first bomb I've built to score ultimately score more on other bombs I've built? and if you're the first one to do that you get a certain bonus and the bonus starts to decrease for other people then with the uranium bombs you don't have to do that uh you know but the the points maybe aren't as, as much they're, they're more in the middle range and right. and so there's some ability. and this was one of the way reasons it played brilliantly i think with 2 is because with four players the game is played to a smaller number of points and i almost felt like the game was a little, well, I don't want to say short, but it was less clear if making that initial sacrifice was going to be worth it, particularly if the first bomb you happen to be able to build was one of a higher value to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I went with the red, you know, the uranium strategy. Because I wasn't sure about that. Whereas in a two player game, there's definitely enough time that if you go plutonium, you know, you're going to, you're going to reap the rewards of making that sacrifice and choosing which one of those you, you do. Uh, and then either bomb, there's also another encouragement to building bombers because you can do, you can spend a little bit of extra cash, load the, the bomb on a bomber and you score five extra points. So, uh, you know, that's kind of neat even thematically and it kind of encourages the the gameplay there so uh, i just like the way that whole thing kind of played out and you, you never actually really drop the bomb sort of thing and, you know i haven't yet tried the nations at war expansion but this is one where you actually are russia you know the uh, united states germany and a couple other nations are in there the right. the you know nuclear powers uh, and, and basically, it plays out as you have like a, a, a I think it's a, a building that you start off the game with a special ability that, that that gives some flavor to it. So that seems like a neat addition too. Certainly worth the the 350 I think I paid for it. To, to, you know, just to build the theme that much more for those that don't mind that right. Don't mind putting some real world countries behind it instead of just blue and green. What was neat about the game? Now, as we played it, is what place did you come in, Rob? Do you recall? Now,
0: if I had another action, I would have hit the points. Okay, so, so
1: I was like right
0: behind. That's what my, it was.
1: Okay, so so, I so, was second. so four players, and the th- just proof in the how good of a year from a Euro perspective this game is. I was slaughtering everybody. Uh, if you had looked at the point scores, right? I had the early lead. I built the red bomb. Not only had I built one bomb and I was at like 27 points where everybody else was at zero, uh, I had my second bomb ready to go. I had everything I needed to actually do it. I simply chose not to because I, I was trying to build the engine more. And I just, something fell apart for me in the way that I was executing on that to where I actually ended up last. So yeah. from from way in the lead And there were certain reasons for that, which one of the things I was sacrificing was the development of my uh, workers. I I actually had less workers, I think, than other people. There was a little bit of a university shortage, but what ones did eventually come out, I didn't really get. And I wasn't wasn't building that part of things as well. Uh, I was doing really well. And money and other things that should have ultimately helped me, but I didn't didn't maximize correctly. So the another player won, and then you know you and and the the fourth one basically both would have won in one more round, and it would have taken me two more rounds to have won. And of course, I did recognize one suboptimal play I had made that cost me a round. But even then, you know, I guess you would say I was I was still. The most failed, considering how well I had been doing. And, and you were the most experienced. Yeah, that too. That too.
0: You know, with a lot of these games, when you play it the first time, it's so hard. I mean, you can't have an optimal strategy. Because you don't know what you're doing.
1: Right. Yeah, and you buy too much. Well, at least much I don't. One. Well, you buy too <laughs> much. Uh, maybe you buy yeah. too many of one building and not enough of another. But.
0: You know, because you know, at that point, at least this is how it is for me, at, at that point, I'm just still trying to figure out what does what and how things interact. And, you know, I, yeah. I, you know, I make a move and it's like, whoops, shouldn't have done that. Oh yeah. That, that worked out really good. And
1: what I learned in my very first game of Manhattan project was money is really tight and it's really difficult to get money Yeah, and you need money. Absolutely. And maybe even more so in, in the multiplayer game, if you do get bombed because to repair anything, but I, I played very much to have lots of money, and I did, and that really helped me. But uh, unfortunately, in doing so, I didn't play to maximize worker count, which is, is any worker placement game probably is and should be something very important ultimately building that engine. So even though I had everything else correct, uh, because I stalled on that, others were able to surpass me just in the quantity of actions and, and such, and uh, you know, ultimately had someone leverage, I think, the... the contractors better, they would have done even that much more uh, well over, over uh, you know, how well they already were doing.
0: And, and, you know, for the game overall, one thing I've got to mention is that uh, this is something that you don't see very often in most games but they have some really thick chits for the player pieces,
1: Yeah, for the, well, uh, and that's kind for of, the
0: worker pieces.
1: Instead of doing the wooden meeples and, and being same old, same old, this gives it a different kind of look and feel and allows you to distinguish the three worker types. You know, another thing I just recalled, though, that was interesting in this game. What's that? Uh, and, and it's actually a negative for the game. So uh, okay. Not for me, but for some others. I had the, one of the factories that was giving me money also was producing bombers, and I had 10 bombers, and 10 bombers is a lot of bombers. I mean, that's ah, going to really hurt somebody if they didn't have fighters. And what had happened is I was just waiting to just blow, you know, just annihilate somebody, and, mm-hmm. and that somebody was probably going to be you, Rob. <laughs> oh, thanks. Because, because you didn't have very many fighters. And one of the, yeah, I think I had like seven. Yeah. At the end you did. Okay. But, but at the, when I had first started to build that, you had less. And yeah. one of the other players had very few, maybe, maybe the other player had like two or three only. And then the, you know, the guy to my right had, you know, like 10 fighters cause he had the fighter version of the factory. Uh, and so what happened was I chose not to bomb anyone because the person I really needed to bomb, the person I felt was in the lead who did turn out to win the game had 10 fighters and I didn't have a lot of fighters and so my bombers weren't going to go anywhere if I couldn't get rid through his fighters. So the person I needed to bomb I couldn't because he had defended properly and the person who I deemed to be in second which was you, you like you said you then you had six or seven so I, so maybe it was the other guy. So it wasn't it wasn't to where I was going to really be able to do it at all and then the, the person who I thought was in last place who turned out to be equal to you, right? He was the only one I really could get away with bombing, and I kind of felt like, what's the point, right? I mean, he's already in last place, I'm just going gonna, gonna to waste time, you know, because you, you have to spend your action to do that, your one action on the center board, so I'm going to waste that just to push him even further behind. You know, that just seems cruel and unusual. <laughs> so so I actually ended up, with all of the bombers I had, I never actually attacked anyone, because I, yeah. I really couldn't. And, and I thought that was, that's kind of interesting to me, that that comes up in the game, and you know i felt like we all kind of played that properly but at the same time that said i think there's another version of players that would play and somebody would just bomb anybody just you know because and now there's almost that ameritrash king makering element where you know well the only reason i lost is because you picked me to bomb and i you know you should have bombed the guy who was in the lead and you know because i would have caught up with him but now i couldn't because you bombed me and why didn't you bomb him and you know, or, or the, again, the guy in, in trailing behind goes, well, this wasn't any fun for me because I couldn't use any of my buildings. I had no money. Everybody was just bombing me because they could. I, I could see a, a version of the game, a group of players, where, for whatever reason, that happened. So, fortunately, that happened, hasn't been my experience. And I think if you understand anything about the game, you're not going to see reason to, again, waste your one valuable action to do that needlessly or to the wrong person. And if if you're really in fear of it, I suppose you just make sure you get the fighters and defend against it, and, and basically you're immune to it. But I, I still see the existence of that complaint for some people, so that's maybe okay. my only warning about the game. Otherwise, I think it's the most spectacular game ever. Uh, I kind of hesitate to give it a 10, because I haven't quite played it enough times for that. So say it's 10-ish. Yeah, but I, I mean, I see the potential that this is one of those games that's, you know, uh, when I think of worker placement games, or spectacular worker placement games, it's in the top ew, wow because i do like worker placement games myself i mean it's maybe of the top three worker placement games that i have you know at solid tens oh absolutely uh, and
0: what was interesting about this game like out of all the games that we've played that day you know a day or two later i was actually still thinking about the game I'm like
1: hmm, yeah you know yeah and then you went and you went and bought it too so
0: well, i actually had it on order oh good it was held up for uh some pre orders well you did,
1: okay, so you didn 't cancel your order more importantly,
0: which, I'm <laughs> cancel sure. and redo it, oh yeah, didn 't cancel it
1: period. yeah, because it was so
0: period awful yeah i i I did get it by the way, yeah. I'm anxious to play it did you pick up the expansion so, no, I did not, ah, oh. they were out,
1: oh, out of it, okay,
0: and what was up with that thing okay it 's an expansion that came out at the same time as the game.
1: Yeah, yeah, they should have yeah, just Yeah, come on, just it. put it in the box. Yeah, that's so the money. What is it? Out. Ten cards? Eight cards? Not even. Well, it's six nations, maybe, and two instruction cards. It's not a lot of cards. Lame. It'll be on the BGG store probably yeah. soon. Yeah, but I, you know, I I, I count it as a promo. I, I do, I do. It's not really. Yeah, it's a promo. Absolutely. If I had to argue for them. devil's advocate, I would say it's because they were worried about the political impact of putting the nations in the box. And There are plenty of people who would see the game differently than this way. You're just red and blue. You never even drop any bombs. It's It's very politically correct. And if you you want that, you can go get these six cards available separately and, and we can be, you know, the U.S. against Russia and Germany and all that. So, So. So
0: another fantastic game. After that, we went on to play uh, Poseidon's Kingdom.
1: Yeah, Poseidon's Kingdom. So, So that's a, a nice $87 game I ordered from Scotland, I think it is, from Fragor Games. And uh, what did you think of that one? I
0: wasn't quite sure of what to make of it because you know I'd watched the videos on uh, on BGG from uh, I believe it was Essen, and I didn't I hadn't been following the game. I really didn't know what all the hype was. I, you know, I heard that they only had like a thousand copies and they sold out in like four minutes or whatever it was, and you, you know. It, it was interesting. I would definitely play it again. Uh, I th- for me, it's one of those games that I have to warm up to a little bit. The character pieces that they've got, like the little fish, starfish. <laughs> um, I don't know what that was. Octopus. That little... What's the green one? The green ones, yeah, like, like an octopus round, or something. With the mm-hmm. dots on it. I mean, the the characters on there are, are pretty cool. You know, the the player pieces, characters, whatever you want to call them. They're some kind of molded, heavy plastic. And uh, there's definitely a lot of dice in it. Lots Uh, of dice, yeah. Lots and lots of dice. You know, you basically stack these dice up on top of this um, cardboard wave. wave, And then you knock it over, and then the dice fall on the board, and on the floor, and on the table. (laughs) (laughs) Depending on how you knock
1: it over. Yeah, it's all part of it.
0: Yeah. And it's got some interesting mechanics There's a shark that runs around and and uh what does it do? Eat the peep, eat the characters or yeah. does
1: it Yeah, it eats the characters.
0: Yeah, it eats well, the characters, sends you back to one of two spots on the board. And um I was I was getting a little tired at, at that yeah, time. Yeah, it, it was getting, getting later. Late.
1: Yeah. So I well, that's the the so the interesting yeah, problem with the game is it's really I mean, Build is sort of this light game, but wow, was it, like, complicated to explain when I was explaining it. Because I was like, yeah, it's this really simple game. And you just kind of put these dice, you knock it over, you roll it. But, ooh, I think I spent longer explaining that than I did Rex. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It It certainly felt that way. So actually, for me, that actually is a positive. Because what's happened with Poseidon's Kingdom, and I actually own two of these because when I first got it, and it was rare enough... Uh, I enough different gaming friends where I was sure somebody was going to want a copy and, that hadn 't heard of it and i 'm always a nice guy that goes, Yeah, everybody else is trying to get you know hundred and sixty bucks for it, but i 'll give it to you for what I paid or whatever so um, but nobody ended, actually ended up wanting it <laughs> uh, one other person in uh, the copy that we played was actually is owned by another gaming buddy, right, so yeah. he already had one. Uh, but nobody else that I've played it with has, has liked it quite enough to spend $87 on it, which is kind of the flaw with the game. is It's it's a good game for me, but is it an $87 good game? So what happens is I go away from the game for a couple weeks, a month, whatever, and I start looking at it and going, oh, yeah, I, I really need to play this again, so I'll, I'll end up trading it and, or selling it and getting my $87, which is a lot of money. And then I, what inevitably keeps happening is I play it and I – realize that i actually kind of do like it so i think maybe it was one of one of those the first time i played it i was like eh, it's kind of light and silly and stupid but and i and i may still prefer antics which has some similar but maybe deeper hive building strategy which is the mechanic they kind of built off of for poseidon's right. kingdom but as as i played and lost this one right didn't i lose miserably i, I want to say Poseidon's kingdom <laughs> okay
0: yeah right sure. so I,
1: as as a more experienced person again it's probably a game I should have won but I haven't played it in ages and as I was playing it I was like oh yeah yeah the, I, I was kind of remembering all the things not to do and or all the things to do better so what happens in the game and I think the thing that's neat about it for me is in most of the dice rolling games we will we'll say alien frontiers as an example it's all about manipulating your dice. You know, you roll your dice and it's okay, I'll turn the three into a four and I you know I subtract one, flip the dice, you know, whatever. Right? It's just endless amount of you, where we say when we have a cube pusher's pushing cubes, well the dice rollers just spinning and twisting and adding dice, right? And this game is just very different in the way that it applies the dice because you never really roll the dice. Do you ever roll the dice? No. You just put them up on the wave and then and then push it over, and they end up at whatever number they end up. And at that point, and there are neutral dice as well, but you don't really ever have to take your dice. So fine, yours didn't roll the numbers that you want. Just take somebody else's dice or take the neutral dice. Uh, Now, there's a penalty to doing that where when you eat an opponent's die, uh, a different creature of yours moves around a track, and eventually you get a bonus and, and points and things like that. Ultimately, you're trying to free six of your relatives, I guess you would say, <laughs> thematically. Right. Your, your little buddies also, or whatever.
0: Also known as little circles.
1: Little right. Circle a little chips. Those are little cardboard ones. But. <laughs> yeah. And you do that by making patterns. So it's, you know, a high pair, a low pair, three in a row, four different ones, that sort of thing. And you do that by eating dice. But the interesting part about it is you – this is where the hive – mechanic works. You place these little tiles and at the start of the game you can only move one, you can only eat one, and you can only place one die on the wave. But as you build these tiles and you can choose what tile you get, and even in Antics there was more randomness to how the tiles came out and such, but this one you just pick, basically pick the one you want and you can build out or build up, but as you build up if you have a a layer two one of those you can do two of that action and three of the action and one player even got to four uh, of the actions. And I think they were yep. the one that won because they yeah. were doing they were able to do four of that particular thing and so uh, other than that there's storage spots which don 't improve at with height, but you can only store as many dice as you have those and right. so if if you don 't have the ability to eat lots of dice, you have to store them or some combination and so that 's an interesting dynamic back and forth and, and then ultimately, how you make those combinations and if you 're the first one, you get the most points if you 're the second, you get less and so on. And then there's even bonus tiles at the end, which, uh, which is why the player who won probably shouldn't have won, because the penalty for building up is that you score very few bonus points at the end, because the bonus points uh, reward building out, so that if I have four or five of this particular symbol showing, then I get five bonus points if I get the matching tile. And there's an ability throughout the game to peek at those tiles, so that you, because normally you'd have to kind of buy it blind but as you do well in the game you can kind of look at them and so you determine which one it is you need and ultimately have to get the die in order to claim it so there's more going on to the you know in the game than it might look at when you just see these kind of cute creatures and i didn't even mention then the shark right so there's a shark that goes around and if it lands on your space not only does it send you back to the start which isn't necessarily good or bad, but basically you have to take a, 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 a skeleton fish token and permanently destroy one of the spaces, the hexagons in your um, little hive thing. So, uh, and there's a way to clear that off, but it's it's pretty uh, a pretty good penalty. I mean, it's it definitely sucks if you encounter the shark uh, a couple of times. Oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. At one point I had, I believe, six of those little. Like uh, dead tile
1: markers. It, yeah, and it seems like it would be I, easy uh, to avoid the shark, but especially with four players, you have, you have two guys on the board, and so you can only move one on any given turn. And so if you're moving right. one, then the other one's kind of in danger, and so you're always – you know, there's the dice – there's certain dice that you want – and then there's where your guys are versus where the shark is. And then there's your colors versus the opponent's colors because you kind of prefer to eat your own, but you may not get to because of all these things. So while at first there seems like spatially there's not a lot of going on on the board and it's kind of obvious, uh, there, I think there really is some depth to it, some strategy behind where you go and, and what you eat, you know, what you store, what you combine and all of that. You are what you eat. Yeah, and you probably even deny, I think if you've played more than once, you start looking over at your opponent and go, you know, they stored a one and a two, maybe I ought to eat the three, because there's no difference to me, like I just needed a fourth number, the three and the four are all the same, but if I get the three, they're not going to make that th- that three in a row, you know, type of thing, so I'll, I'll choose that one instead. You know, at, at, at first play, you don't think there's much benefit to getting lots of dice up on the tower or the wave, but really there is because the more dice you have on the board, the more other people end up taking yours and the further you, faster you go around the track, which ultimately frees your, your friends quicker and, uh, accelerates you towards bonus points and the end of the game. So it's, it's an odd game for me because every time I I go away from it, I think, eh, yeah, it's probably played out. I've, yeah, and I've probably played it six or seven times now. Uh, so I, f- I feel like oh, I'm kind of done with it and then I played again and I was like mm, yeah, there's, there's still something to this game so oddly what I haven't played is, is Antics ever since I've gotten Poseidon's Kingdom that keeps coming out and Antics was a game I liked a lot so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll have to bring that the next couple times I, uh, I pick games and just see how that's held up over time mm-hmm. but yeah so it seems like uh, maybe you saw a little potential in the game but weren't, weren't the biggest fan of it as a first-time player?
0: For me, I mean, I would definitely play it again. It was late. and
1: But you're not going to was... drop
0: $87 on it? No. No. So if Fair. you're asking if I'm going to buy your copy, no. <laughs> okay. Well, but, uh, you know, it, I, I would definitely play it again. And, you know, while you were explaining the rules, I kind of zoned out for a second. And, like, that whole mechanic with those guys going around i had no idea what was going on i was just like hey cool all right yeah yeah okay give me those guys give me those guys okay i'm not
1: sure what i did to get it but okay it's hard it's hard to follow just because it's so different you know we're again with a worker placement game or economic engine building game if you've played one similar you kind of kind of get it but this isn't really like other dice rollers and it's hard to yeah, I mean it didn't make sense to me the first time too. I think I, we just kind of played through it, and then we're, as as we got to it, I was reading in the rules and I was like, "Oh, okay, that's how that works." And why you know,
0: it, that's it's really like, it's really a game that you have to see in action. Like, you know, it's it's something that I think if I just read the rules, I would have trouble with it. I yeah, would, I would actually very much so. I did.
1: It. I did when I read it, the rules the yeah. first time. That's why why with a lot of the games I I do set them up and play through a turn or two. Because that's the only way I can. It, the rules will make sense to me, and there's no way I'm going to teach, be able to teach the game if I haven't done this. Absolutely. Uh, and and I try not to make my wife endure me learning as I teach her. So oh yeah, like it, mine you, is very unforgiving. Yeah, it usually goes over yeah. better if I already know how to play. So absolutely. <laughs> or we simply just take less time, right? Because then the game starts feeling too long. Because you spent an hour learning the game and trying to explain it when it it otherwise would have only taken five or ten minutes. So. <laughs> All right, well, so the very last game we played, uh, and this one ended up being just a two-player, yep. was Pergamon. Yes, Pergamon. Uh, it's
0: a game by uh, Stephen Dora, and it's it's uh, a pretty interesting game. It came out, uh, I believe, last year, 2011, mm-hmm. and the whole gist of the game is that you are somewhere in Turkey, and you're digging for ancient artifacts that you are looking to fix up and eventually put into a museum for a display. So there's a, there's a couple different mechanics that are involved, which makes it really interesting. There's kind of like a little bit of a... It's almost like a gambling mechanic.
1: Yeah, blind
0: bidding in a way. Sort yeah. Of. Yeah, it's, it's like blind bidding, gambling-ish kind of thing where... You place a little meeple on a specific area of this track on the top of the board and based on where you put your meeple, it basically says how much money you get and how deep you can excavate. And then in the excavation area, there's five levels uh, where each level can have up to four different artifacts, artifact tiles or relic tiles. So in in some instances, you might have more pieces in, in let's say, level four. Let's say you have four pieces in level four. You have, you know, one in level three, two. You know, it it can vary. And what you want to do is collect the money so you can collect the pieces. And then it's almost done in like a would you say it's like a jigsaw fashion where it's like a puzzle almost you have to well, yeah. assemble pieces
1: well yeah yeah there's there's it seems like there's more but there's really only like is it four different types of artifacts that you're putting together yeah and, there's and the then rings
0: there's the faces and then two different colored jugs like, jugs
1: yeah yeah and and so you're combining a value in points with an age uh, which you know what well, really I mean the interesting thing for me about the game is you're kind of balancing the ability to get the most money with the ability to choose first so yes. you know it, yeah this play might get you more money which you really need I mean you always need more money in this game but now everyone else is gonna take you know choose before me likely so you know really almost almost always you know you have to kind of balance that and go is it does do I really care as much what I get there's multiple rows that kind of work for me or no I really need this particular set so I'm kind of going to have to you know take less money but you can't take so little money that you can't afford it now and the, I know the problem I keep getting into with this game is I I spend every last dollar I have so I, I don't have a choice yeah uh but you really need to save a little bit cuz that gives you so many more options than Absolutely what what's neat about this game is I, I I I there's certain games I just can't remember if I've played before or not and so I I swear the game is so familiar to me like I've played it back when it first came out But I think I didn't. I think it was one of the ones where I just read the rules so many times that I thought I've played it. And you know, watched enough videos, you know, read enough reviews, and and I had dismissed the game because there's a lot of elements in the game that aren't typically for me. Uh, Any any kind of blind mechanic is usually not good for me uh, because there's too much chaos and lack of control. I don't really like games where you put stuff on display because it's sort of tired. And just so on, right? I mean, it just seemed like, in all ways, this was, you know, I I buy lots and lots of games, and I just can't possibly buy every one as much as it seems some days like I do. Uh, So this wasn't one I had bought, and uh, there was other copies floating around, but I just, I don't think I ever played it. I might have. But if I did, it was only once. But in any case, this play, I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed the game, even as a two-player game, which I know is potentially a suboptimal count, because uh, there's a, like a, a another third player although like it works well in the way that it's implemented this this uh ghost player but uh, you know I've since played it, it you can play it on Yucata so I've played uh quite a few additional games maybe even well I guess well a lot of them are ongoing but I finished one or two and then maybe there's two more I'm playing and that are ongoing and yeah I'm surprised that it. it's it's still uh Holding my interest, like I'm still discovering new strategies and ways to play better, and it's it's kind of light enough and quick enough that you know I'm, I'm actually I'm probably going to add it to my next order. <laughs> I got to keep stop doing this. Yeah, but, and it,
0: and it's a very small game and
1: yeah, very well, inexpensive, and and that's why because I I've noticed I've pitched too many games that are the smaller games, the lighter games, the almost filler level games. And so uh, my interest in this title really is, uh, as a two-player with my wife, is, is mm-hmm. just a quicker or lighter game. And I did think it worked well enough with that count, but yet was something that's going to play uh, interestingly with more. I- I'm not sure if I like it with a lot, uh, because maybe there is more of the chaos element with the blind stuff. But with, with two to three, I think there's uh, enough control over it that the that dilemma you know the range of money that's going to be in the game and the the, the, the one you pick versus the depth you need to go and then how you combine everything uh, and there's different scoring mechanisms in the game there's uh, rounds that come up where then you score based on where you are in the uh, museum and things get devalued and then there's bonuses at the end of the game for the oldest uh, artifact so there's a lot of stuff uh, you know after I think even you've just played once you sort of see the different ways that you can have impact on uh your your final score so it's it's not going to be a game for control freaks where you feel like you want to be able to see everything in the game right but for that sort of blind aspect and and the display aspect that is present and again in a lighter version i it it's more than passable for me so uh uh, again, I I think it's something I'm going to add to my collection.
0: For me, I mean, it's a game that I've had for uh, quite some time now, probably at least six months. And the thing that I really enjoy about it is that it's just a bunch of different mechanics that kind of all come together, and the fact that you get these uh, you get these relic tiles. And the way that they're set up is each tile has two pieces of relic on it, and it's two halves. And they're at the left and the right edge of the tile. So you basically have to assemble these tiles. So like two tiles will assemble one piece if, they're, if it's the same left and right piece. So you, you'll need, let's say, the left piece. Part of the ring on the right side of one tile and the right part of a ring on the left part of a tile Right, you and you're, and
1: you're kind it. of creating this string of, of tiles yes. to make a display
0: and so it's it's very thinky in some respects because you're looking at the, uh, the 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 digging levels and then you're like, wow, you know I, I need that how, how Ooh, that's did, a yeah, big number almost
1: and like a tile laying game where you're trying to think ahead how you would manipulate tiles and to you know to get the the necessary connections but um but and, this and, is in a linear form and and the other dilemma and I, I think I've just realized this even after all the games I've played is you can do what's called polishing to increase yes. the score or well not the score necessarily but the position within the museum and that's something I've pretty much always done to the maximum I had the money to do and I just realized just that three. Well, but I just realized that's probably what I've been doing wrong, suboptimal. Because I, I mentioned a moment ago that you know having even a, a dollar or a gold piece, as it is, left over is just really helpful the next time around because now you might be able to to position yourself to take tiles um, first and not have to go for the more money. Right. So there's almost a choice: do I polish and and use up all my money, or do I keep the money so that I have better control? In future turns and understanding when it makes sense to do one versus the other and that's something I guess I haven't right. quite even gotten to in the in the in the plays I've done, but now I'm sort of seeing that dilemma there is uh the ability to discard tiles uh, sometimes you have to and and if you don't you have to pay beyond three you have to pay to keep them which again there's that uh, do I do I invest the money to store these artifacts uh, because I'm not ready to put this on display uh, or do I go ahead and you know, just put a smaller one on display and get it out there. And uh, then there's also a devaluing that happens when when you get to certain points and such. So, and when when other people put in in uh, a display in there also, then everything devalues and so on. So,
0: um, everything below them in the, in yeah, the score track. There's
1: the just track for as straightforward. And I mean, this one's definitely easy to explain. I'm still finding interest to it, right? And I've, I'll say this: I've said it probably a, a dozen times by now, but that's all I look for in a game. Is that when I play it, one the first time, I see something where I could do better the next time, right? So even if I I lose miserably, fail at it, don't even understand it, I just come away knowing something to do better next time. And then that second time, again, I go, oh, okay, for the third time. And here I've played it what whatever is four or five times, not all finished, but right. and and I just now as I was talking about it, came up with something. Oh, I need to try that. I need to look closer at not spending, not always polishing, just. To do it because it seemed right, but saving that money to to increase my options for the next thing and yeah. so lets you um, build or dig deeper and so I like yeah, that you know that I'm still pieces. still finding ways to maximize the play and in uh, the scoring um, you know quite a few games in so um, yeah I, I guess what I wanted to say about the that that day in general and the and the five games that we've mentioned yeah. is uh, and, I, and I said this in the, the the whole reason we had the last episode, the, the game Lust episode, is I was talking about how excited I was about just the different games I had gotten uh, this time around and the potential I thought they all had. And now only three of these are new games that were part of that purchase, Lords of Waterdeep, Rex, and Manhattan Project. But all five of them I very much enjoyed playing. Uh, and that, that just never really happens for me. You know, as many years and as many games as I've played, you know, usually on a game day, I'm, you know, there's a game I hated and one that was just some um, s- so, so, and, but it really, too, I've enjoyed all five of them. It was just very, very great experience for me. Oh, absolutely. Me, and, too. Uh, and, of course, we don't have time. We'll have to save it for the next show of the other games I've been playing. But in a larger sense, you know, we'll say the other five, maybe even eight games I've played uh, again or just all games that I really enjoyed, um, even ones that others had owned or games i have been thinking about, and now I've had to go out and buy them, uh, or other games I had bought that, that I was worried about that turned out to still be great. So, um you know coming off the 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 heels of some uh, not so great reviews that I'd done and some games I had been disappointed in and you know probably a good duration of where there was a mixture between games I liked and didn't like having this sort of you know week or two weeks where it just I've played all these different games that are just really really good for me it's It's refreshing, right I mean it's like okay, yeah, this is a great hobby, I love this hobby i love I love board games, so absolutely. So uh so thank you you know Minion Games for that thank you all the other publishers involved so uh, there there are good board games still coming out
0: yes they haven't run out of ideas
1: nope
0: that's for sure
1: yeah and and, and, and you know Lords of Waterdeep you know it's derivative right Manhattan Project it's you know you, you see where it builds on other things obviously Rex too but In their own right, uh, you know, all those games stand alone uh, as their own thing. I mean, even Poseidon's Kingdom—it's certainly you could call the wave a gimmick, but it works and it's it stands on its own as a unique uh, experience. You know,
0: I mean, Um, it's more interesting than dumping dice out of a cup. You know.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's unfortunately I think because of the price tag of eighty-seven dollars, it's it's not quite universally universally as well known and. Beloved and and received as as say some of the other games we talked about have been, I guess in this in this case I'm right up there with uh, a lot of the people who have liked these other games you know uh, a lot, uh, Lords of Waterdeep and Manhattan Project particularly I think Rex has gotten a little bit more mixed reviews because not everybody's for the the Maritrash flavor in that but uh, and then you have your diehard Dune fans and such but again for me all spectacular plays so. wanted to thank all our listeners for uh, continuing to send us feedback and leaving us voicemails. Definitely encourage more of that. One voicemail we received that we want to share with you this week is from a listener named Mark. And here it is. Hey Jeff and Rob, how you doing? Uh, my name is Mark, and I just wanted to call and ask a question of you guys. Um, I'm wondering—I'm not a big board game player, but my wife likes to play board games. She's always trying to get me in to do in a game. But so I'm wondering, what's a good? I'm, my gaming's all on the video game side. So, what's a good game that uh, might be able to pull me in and, and keep something that my wife and I can play uh, and enjoy together? Um, We do already have Ticket to Ride, and I hate it because it's too long and complicated. But um, another question is, how about a family game? Do you guys have any suggestions for kids ages 5, 6, and 8, as well as their parents can play together? Uh, Keep up the good work on the shows and enjoying the podcast, and uh, I'll listen for your answer on the next show. Thanks. Bye.
0: Thanks, Mark, for sending that in. Uh, looks like you've got a little bit of a dilemma there, well ticket to ride dilemma.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. That's uh, that's a rough one for me at at first thought. If, yeah,
0: uh, I'm am kind of wondering if if you got some uh, analysis paralysis going on there with some family members because I,
1: I I don't know that I've ever heard ticket to ride referred to as as too complex. But I'm going to guess here that uh, that he meant to stress the too long part. Yes. Uh, and it just kind of came out as part of that statement. So it it was kind of too long and complicated in terms of, you know, I had to wait a lot and, while everyone else yeah, was and, taking their turns and deciding on things. and You know,
0: maybe you were, uh, you know, reading magazines or something in between turns or something. And I, and
1: I could see how that would happen if you're playing with all, all new players and they're, maybe almost trying to take it too seriously, right? And just, uh, okay, I got two blues and, you know, a yellow, and should I... A- and, you know, at least for me, the way we play the game is, you know, I'm kind of just going with my gut, right? I'm not trying to overthink it too much. And, you know, I kind of just, yeah, I need a blue, and I'll just take a random one from the top and such, and it kind of goes around pretty quick. But looking back at the game... The first time I played it, I wonder, there's no way for me to remember, but I'm sure I didn't play it anywhere near how I play it now. So I can see that. But in in terms of actually answering his question, what are you thinking, thinking, Rob? What's a good recommendation based on uh, that dilemma?
0: Well, there's a a couple of different routes that he can go. Uh, I think that for something that he and his wife can play, you know that would probably be something along the lines of uh, maybe Jaipur.
1: Yeah, instead of uh, going with the, the the full boxed game, it's more of like the filler variety, just quicker, not a long game, not as many rules, not as many components. Yeah, very, and that's that one's specifically made for two. So that alone Absolutely. means you're kind of going back and forth with turns, quicker, uh, not the you know waiting for it to come around the whole table type of thing. Yeah, and, and what
0: Jaipur is is it's a it's a card game, which is set somewhere was it Marrakesh or something like that, somewhere in the Middle East, mm-hmm. and uh, you're dealing with uh, coins and camels and cards. <laughs> That's uh, maybe not the best explanation for it, but it's it's an interesting uh, yeah. There's, would there's, you call that set collection?
1: Yeah, there's uh, it has some sort of unique mechanics to it too or I think it it's actually still in my collection
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: despite the fact that it, it's another one that I just target all the time every time I go through a gaming purge and go oh that one's definitely not making the cut this time and then on, upon review I go oh huh. <laughs> so you know, every time I, you play it it's a, it's a fun little I, game it's yeah, simple I, and fun. I don't know I, I, I guess I just undervalue it somehow each time but but uh, yeah it still made the cut every, every single time so that's got to say something about it yeah yeah, so
0: what you basically do is it's a card game. You collect different kinds of um, what was it like carpets and fabrics and there, yep. there's four different or no six different kinds of textiles and so forth that you're collecting and like there's jewels and goblets I believe and all sorts of stuff. So you collect these and you trade them in for these little tokens which have points underneath and ultimately. Um, you score those at the end of the game. And I think there's, what, three rounds?
1: So it's been a while for me. So yeah, I don't, I don't remember too. the details. I just know that, uh, it, it, like even now, I go, like uh, it's a forgettable game. But no, there's this, um, and I, I'm hard-pressed to explain it, but there's a neat mechanic behind how the cards pass back and forth. And when, when I go back to it each time, I go, yeah, this is really pretty neat. And, um, and my and, wife always enjoys it. And when I've played it with other, you know, lighter gamers, and this is really, I mean, it's not, even as a filler, I don't know if it's the kind I bring along with, with heavy, heavy gamers. But but it's always gone over well with, with uh, the the family crew and the lighter gaming bunch.
0: Absolutely. You know, a, a couple of the pros of the game for you are going to be, it's, it's a really small box. It's portable. It's something that your wife will probably enjoy. And, and you probably will too. It, it's very... Quick to learn
1: and you can teach it very easily. So and it's it's a pretty well known game out there, but it's by GameWorks, I want to say. Which is yeah, which is you would you kind of would expect this would be like in the silver line of Fantasy Flight or well, I mean I guess by box shape anyway and component quality, but uh, yeah, it's just this little game by GameWorks, which is uh you know and and I always
0: have to throw in my little Plug for their uh, excellent insert. Inserts. Yeah, yeah, I remember
1: you <laughs> mentioning that one. Yeah, it is a good one. Uh, so, do I, a good I, job. I guess if it, along those same lines, I was thinking possibly a game like uh, Colorado or uh, Colorado's good. Yeah, uh, and that one actually plays multiple players as well as two, so it might uh, that might appeal more than it depending on what player count you're looking to suit. Uh, and, and something I learned just recently that I didn't actually know about that game is originally didn't play two. So, like an argument had started about that. But, but the, the version I have, anyway, includes special cards for two players and is a game I very much enjoy as a two-player game.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, I mean, it's another one of those ones where you could argue that there's actually more control and more strategy in the two-player game than the m- multiplayer one. But... In general, I'm a fan of that whole line of games, Zooloretto, Uh I'm actually hooked on the new dice version of the game, and I'm planning. Oh, yeah! I, I plan to find and acquire one as soon as I, I, I missed the last opportunity to get one because uh, I wasn't paying attention. But I will acquire that one as well, and I've been been trying actually, out me of too. Utah. So, well, again, I, I kind of recognize I'm missing uh, I, currently. Uh, enough lighter filler games, quick games, and the dice version of Zularetto definitely fits the bill there. Uh, maybe that's even... If it were available, I would even recommend it for exactly this situation because I think it is just quick and light enough but yet has that neat kind of tension and strategy to it. And it very much has the... Uh, it almost is like Zuloretto meets, you know, Colorado uh, feel, but with dice, so... I don't know. It's like, it feels like it's this tired thing where the last thing we need is another one of them, but yet it works. Yeah. It works. I don't know Absolutely. why, but it works still. Uh, so yet another one, but it's still good. But yeah, Colorado, I would I would recommend. Uh, I think that's a good one. And then... Well, so for,
0: for two-player, definitely Jaipur. Yeah. And then for two and more, mm-hmm. definitely Colorado.
1: And then and maybe... Then, how about for the family? For the family, yeah. Uh, Which I think addresses the whole group Too is why not a co-op Like um, Forbidden Island Oh great yeah Uh, You know because this is is, again that, That right right you know I think it Rides the line between Family game and You know something that you would You could play with your wife as a two player game You know it's 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 a lighter version of pandemic, right? I mean, it's, the gamers are probably going to move more towards a pandemic or Defenders of the Realm. But uh, again, I, Forbidden Island, I, I still enjoy it enough that it's in my collection. I, you know, the artwork's nice, the the theme's nice. And for it, those, it's that inexpensive too. Absolutely, that's the other thing it's just for, a really inexpensive game.
0: For those that aren't familiar with that game, basically Forbidden Island is. You can have up to four adventurers. Uh, each person is an adventure, and each has a special ability. You go to this island, which is built out of these tiles, and you have to collect four treasures and then escape to the helipad before the island sinks. And then every turn, one or more tiles uh, get partially submerged or get fully submerged. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to save the island from totally sinking and the treasure's disappearing, uh, and you're trying to collect the treasures before uh, it sinks in, and, and getting off the island. It's got quite a bit of tension. But it's, but it's really the perfect
1: introduction to what a co-op game is. Absolutely. I and mean, there's, there's no lighter co-op that I know of that works as well as this one.
0: Right. So with a co-op game, everybody works towards a common goal and everybody loses together or they win together, which you know, you're not which is going against someone else. So
1: for a family, that's great. And it's also supportive of the it. You don't feel as much downtime because you're more engaged on the opponent's turn because you're really playing together.
0: Yeah, so and you're, you want you're,
1: them to succeed, right? So you're trying to give them suggestions and make group decisions, and you're really part of their turn and they're part of your turn. So you're not. If there's a bunch of people involved, you're not waiting for it to go around the table as much. Uh, and, and of course, then for for less experienced gamers, they don't have the feeling that they lost or. Well, I mean, well, if you do lose, you lose as a group. So uh, it's almost encouragement to play again. Then, Well, we'll, we'll win next time, right? Because now we know how to play better or that type Absolutely. of thing. So, yeah, it's. Um, I think co-ops are always a good suggestion for, uh, for new gamers. It also, in as much as I'm not a big co-op fan, and I'm really not, I do admit that it is an example, too, of just seeing how game designs evolved um, from the games that you played as a kid, right? Or years ago. Absolutely. Uh, This kind of showcases what there is definitely a different type of game out there. And maybe this is a better version of that to see before you quite get into something that's more Euro-themed and that sort of thing, you know, as a stepping stone. Uh, And then from Forbidden Island, of course, you could progress into all manner of other co-ops, which, again, many of them have uh, more theme, which is usually better for newer gamers, uh, and, and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe then branch into a Euro or something. So, absolutely. Uh, and, so I and think
0: one nice thing, another nice thing, like Jeff had already mentioned, uh, forbidden Island is fairly cheap. It can usually be had for less than $20 and, right. I think well, and even if, at retail.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and if you really want to cheat, you can get the iPad app too. So. Uh, but then I, I think you're kind of defeating the purpose if, if you're trying to experiment think, getting into board gaming and you do so by playing an iPad app
0: so we're looking at uh, Forbidden Island for the family uh, the kids will probably love it and as will you guys if you want something a little more meatier from that uh, afterwards you can jump to another one like Pandemic which is kind of like the big brother to Forbidden Island and then for you and the wife we're looking at Jaipur and Colorado Thanks for uh, thanks for the message, Mark.
1: Yep. Okay, and that's uh, about all we have for this
0: yeah. week. So please uh, check out our website at www.thisboardgamelife.com. And to send us an email, you can ask us questions, which we'll answer in the show. Uh, send the email to contact@thisboardgamelife.com, and we've also got our voicemail where you can leave a message and hear yourself, just like uh, Mark had done uh, this evening, or this show. Uh, The number is 754-444-TBGL, which is 754-444-8245. On our site, you can find the RSS feeds to subscribe to the show if you haven't already, and please find us on iTunes and rate us a five so uh, we can be uh, featured. My name is Rob.
1: Join our BGG Guild,
0: please. Yes, join the BGG Guild also. Show your support. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, My name is Rob. I'll catch you all later.
1: Later.